0: Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board-certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? I've been knowing you for some while. That's true. And you've always had a tinkling of soul. Every day I, I try to describe soul. Maybe you mm. can hum eight bars of what soul represents. Mm. Coach yours.
1: He'll you guys.
0: Me. Hey, it's Dr. Dalvina. It's a sun, Sunday night. It's another Sunday night and a new episode of the Brain Love Podcast. And um, it's February. It's Black History Month. And I just watched the most amazing account of Sam Cook. Man, I was just like speechless the entire time I'm, I'm watching this this movie on Netflix. Um, It's a a movie about the life of of Sam Cooke, not just as a singer, but also an activist. Someone who was a civil rights activist. And when I tell you I feel so ashamed and not knowing that that's what that man stood for. The movie is called the two killings of Sam Cook. Um, you have to watch this movie. It just and of course there's there's a movie out now um, that features Muhammad Ali and Sam Cook um, and Malcolm X um, and so you know I guess all of these things were released about the same time the Sam Cook movie was made in 2019 but if you have not watched it please do yourself a favor and watch this damn movie my mother is from mississippi as well as my father and um like a lot of people from mississippi they went straight up north they moved to chicago and that's exactly what sam cook's family that's what they did when sam cook was when he was younger um they were in mississippi and moved to chicago And I just remember songs like this one. My my mama playing this song. And like, the music from this time period will just evoke a response in you that you just cannot maintain. Like, when I hear this song, A Change Is Gonna Come, I wasn't even born yet when this song, when he... When he made this song But I remember as a little girl And mind you, I'm sorry My mother was born in 1954 And Sam Cooke, I believe Was born in 1930 If I remember correctly from the movie And so My mama, like When he made his biggest hits That was between I believe 1954 and 1950 and 1964 I believe it is So, there was just, uh, songs just tell a lot of history, a lot of history, and tonight is so unusual for me, because I'm talking about more than one one topic. I'm speaking about, yeah, I just talked about Sam Cooke, but also um, a friend, an associate, I should say sent me a story about a baseball player who basically tried to kill himself. He shot himself in the head and he lived, y'all. He lived for 20 hours in his home before he called 911. I have to share this story with you. I just do. When I tell you, it just everything that I hear my patients and people and friends and family and all of the things that we struggle with in life was contained in this man's, in his man's story. And he kept moving on. He kept moving on. I just think it will be a good story to just, to read to you. I know you could read it yourself, but I think I'll do it justice in reading it to you. I hope you stay on and listen because I cried the entire time I read this article by this man. It just it was so so sad to me that no one knew the trouble that he'd seen, and no one knew what was in his heart. And I I suppose he couldn't find a way to express himself. And you know I talk about this all the time: emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is being able to express yourself appropriately to your children when you're angry. It's being able to stop and and breathe deeply and just take deep breaths and calm yourself down. and knowing when to express yourself, knowing when to share what you feel and what you what you're thinking and what your ideas are, the concern that you have or You know, it's timing, your thoughts, what what you share with folks. But you got to share it. You have to express yourself. You guys heard me in the beginning of, of this episode break down the meaning of brain love. And at the end, E is for expression. Expression is the most important, one of the most important things you can do in life to manage relationships, whether it be with your parents, your children, your brother, your sister, your significant other, your wife, your husband, your supervisor, your coworker, the friend you grew up with, the new friend you're meeting, whatever it is, you have to be able to express yourself. And um, and we should be learning how to express ourselves as we're being raised. As as we're raising our children, we should be teaching them how to express themselves and encouraging them to express themselves. So pretend I am your audiobook because I'm going to read this article, man. I'm telling you, I read this. I did not put it down. I was actually at, um, at, a, golf, at a, a golf course, um, and I was sitting in the restaurant having lunch, and, you know, these people were watching me And this guy said, you must be a lawyer Because you're just reading and reading and reading You haven't put that phone down yet I was reading this article that, that this young man wrote So thank you in advance for staying on with me Because when you hear this story, when you hear And I'm going to emphasize the sections that I feel people struggle with a lot Um, In one of those sections This young man when he was younger His parents divorced and it crushed him And he felt like he was The blame that he was at fault For their divorce And I've said this previously to folks That when relationships End especially if it ends with A parent of our child We really gotta do some therapy As a family to ensure those Kids are okay Inside of their brains We have to We have to tell them that it's not their fault and that they are loved. It'll go a long way. Okay, y'all, remember I said I am your audio book tonight. So thank you so much for staying on and listening. I'm talking about San Francisco Giants outfielder Drew Robinson, this young man. So here we go. On April 16, 2020, Drew Robinson woke up, spread peanut butter on a cinnamon raisin bagel, post a green smoothie, sat at his kitchen table, and finished writing a note that would explain to his family and friends why he had decided to end his life. He had spent the past month alone in his house, confined by the pandemic, and quarantined in his own mind. He hated his life. He hated that no one knew how much he hated his life. I hope eventually that you guys will realize that no one could have seen this coming to prevent it because of how hard I try to hide it, he wrote, and that it's no one else's fault. He apologized to Diana, Daryl, Renee, Brittany, and Chad, the five people he loved the most, the ones who knew him best and still couldn't see the sadness suffocating him. Even they believed the avatar Drew had created. A Major League Baseball player, handsome, charming, funny, with an easy laugh and a big smile. Drew was living his dream and wanting to die. Guilt commingled with a sense of peace when he signed the letter. I'm sorry, Drew Robinson. Now he could get everything ready, tidy up the remnants of the last 27 years, He started to clean the house. He wanted the place to be spotless, as clean as when he moved in. His family would have enough problems after this. He wouldn't want to burden them with another. His final hours melted away. Around 5 p.m., Drew felt a rush of adrenaline. It was time. He grabbed his handgun from the nightstand. He placed the note in the most visible place possible, the kitchen counter. He jumped into his truck, planning to drive to a nearby park where he had settled on doing it, but that felt wrong. He tried another location. He decided he didn't want to die in his truck. He drove home. Drew sat on his living room couch. He poured himself a glass of whiskey and then another. He stopped. He didn't have an alcohol problem and he didn't want anyone to surmise otherwise. His thoughts crashed into one another about what it would look like and whom it would affect and who would find him. He was alone, alone until the end. At about 8 p.m., in one uninterrupted motion, he leaned to the side, reached out to the coffee table, lifted the gun, pressed it against his right temple, and pulled the trigger. That was supposed to be the end of Drew Robinson's story. Over the next 20 hours, he would come to realize it was the beginning of another I'm here for a reason, Drew Robinson says. It's six days before Christmas 2020. He's feeling thankful. He wants to tell the world what happened so he can heal and maybe so he can help others heal too. The reason, Drew says, is because I was supposed to tell a story and not just a story of what happened, the real story, the important story is what happened after. Every minute he's alive, moments good and bad. It's not some sanitized version where a man is saved and happily ever after is the outcome. It is raw and beautiful and ugly and melancholy and triumphant and everything in between. He knows there's a million questions such as, how did he live for nearly an entire day with a giant hole on the right side of his head and another wound where the bullet exited on the left side with no medical attention? Few people survive self-inflicted gunshot wounds to the head. Even rarer are those who emerge with clarity, with purpose. Drew's words tumble out deliberately, confidently. He recognizes how lucky he got, how he's still vulnerable, how he needs therapy and medication, how it is okay to not be okay. He knows that sometimes life is like a vice, unrelenting, cranking tighter and tighter He knows how crippling that can be. He knows that there is a mental health crisis in this country, that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported, that 11% of American adults surveyed in June considered suicide, that suicidal ideation among 18 to 24-year-olds was at 26%. He knows this is difficult to talk about. He knows it's even more difficult to suffer through. He knows because he lived it. I was supposed to go through that. Drew says, I'm supposed to help people get through battles that don't seem winnable. It was completely supposed to happen. There's no other answer. It doesn't make any sense. It was supposed to happen. I'm free now, he says. I shot myself, but I killed my ego. Don't mistake that for glorifying what he did. He does not. More than anything, Drew wants to tell a story to help others recognize the awfulness of suicide. He didn't need 20 hours on the verge of bleeding out. He didn't need the titanium in his head and the cerebral spinal fluid leaking from his brain. He didn't need his family to see what they saw, to go through what they went through, to spend every day wondering if he's really okay, if he's going to do it again. The pain of a death by suicide or attempt is not limited to one person. Every day now offers him a chance to help repair what has been broken, himself. His family, anyone who hears this story. So Drew is back lifting weights in his garage, taking swings in the batting cage, getting used to his new normal. Intent on making baseball history, he's writing for the first time in his life. He's standing in front of a mirror, staring at himself at scars visible and invisible, at the new contours of his face—a face he wants the world to see, no matter how it looks. How can I go through this and not find a way to try to help other people or impact other people's lives, he says. Just have this happen and just move on with my life the way I was before. There's no way. This was a huge sign, a huge painful sign that I'm supposed to help people get through something that they don't think is winnable. Drew was convinced that he's meant to do something. That much he now knows was clear when he opened his eyes and realized he was still alive. At just past 8 p.m. on April 16th, Drew looked around and he was confused. What happened? Why am I still here? He saw blood everywhere. He wanted to wipe it up, get off the couch, he told himself. Maybe someone will want to keep it. He lay on the hardwood floor. 30 minutes passed. He held his head, tried to stem the bleeding. He grabbed a dirty towel. It didn't help. He decided to shower. When he stepped in, disorientation hit. He slipped and smacked his head on the handle, square on the entry wound. It still didn't hurt. How? Why? He curled in a ball on the shower floor. The water ran over him. He dried off and collapsed on his bed. The blood in his mouth turned his stomach, so he returned to the bathroom. He didn't want to throw up on the carpet. More cleanup for his family. As he bent over the toilet, his head struck porcelain, he peeled himself up and tried to brush his teeth. How ridiculous, he thought. A guy with a hole in his head brushing his teeth. Instead, he Instead he, gargled mouthwash to drown out the taste. He shoved toilet paper up his nostrils to keep the blood from dripping down his throat. Back to the bedroom. It was around midnight, four hours after he had pulled the trigger. As Drew closed his eyes, he thought, this is where I'm going to die. Drew Robinson grew up on the outskirts of Las Vegas on a street called Magic Moment Lane. He was Renee and Daryl Robinson's youngest child. His sister, Brittany, was six years older, his brother Chad, four and a half. Drew was a mascot and a punching bag, a tagalong, and an annoyance. The little brother who just wanted attention and love He would sneak in a neighbor's doggy door to steal treats for the Robinson's menagerie of pets, dogs, cats, iguanas, even a cage rat. He would hide in the cupboards, the washer, and the dryer, anywhere he could contort his little body. He would strip off all of his clothes, run outside, hop on a bike, and start riding. Nothing made Brittany cringe more when a friend would say, your brother's naked again. When he was seven, Drew went to Walmart to buy his mother a ring. It was made of chinty metal and glass chips and cost $7.77. Renee wore it until it fell apart. She brought the scraps to a jeweler who made her a sturdier version she still enjoys 20 years later. Every time she slips it on her finger, she thinks of her mischievous boy. When Drew bought the ring, Renee and Daryl were divorcing. It devastated him. He remembers asking himself questions is there something wrong with me? Why is mom so mad at me? What did I do? He never relayed a single one out loud. The Robinsons didn't talk about those sorts of things. They rarely even hugged. They just lived one day to the next. We are all, we all were not very good at handling our emotions, Drew says, and that caused a lot of stress and internal struggles I think we all had this idea of a perfect family and things like that. When it didn't live up to that, we really questioned everything we were doing. After the divorce, the Robinson family splintered. The boys went to live with Daryl. Brittany stayed with Renee. They found common ground in one place the baseball field. Chad grew to six foot five and was considered one of the best prep right handers in the country. Drew was undersized, but skilled, smooth, natural. Almost every weekend, the Robinsons gathered at a baseball tournament, putting aside any differences to support the boys. Chad, who was drafted by Milwaukee in 2006, set a near impossible standard, and yet Drew considered anything short of it a failure. He craved perfection. He made varsity at Silverado High School as a freshman, played some as a sophomore, hit a growth spurt before his junior year and turned into a prospect, six foot one, with a powerful left-handed swing and the ability to play shortstop and the outfield, the best player at Silverado since his brother. He was popular. Girls loved him. He loved them until the next one came along, until he met Diana Aguilova. He was about to graduate from Silverado. He was asking a mutual friend to sign his yearbook, Diana, was there drew didn't want to be rude so he wondered whether she wanted to write something she did you're a cutie it said long before that moment she had told another friend i have to meet him there was something magnetic magnetic about drew even it even if it wasn't an obvious match he could be loud bombastic always trying to look in at cool neither diana nor the world could see drew how he saw himself not as the jokester but as the joke Drew would talk to himself in the first person plural, as if there were an ever-present companion who shared in his misery. When something would go wrong, Drew says, I'm like, why is this happening? The voice in my head would answer, well, of course it was happening. It's us. That's just how your life goes. You don't get to enjoy these things. Over his last two high school seasons, Drew was one of the best players in the historic Vegas area class of 2010. That included Bryce Harper, the first pick in the draft, and Chris Bryant, who would play in college and 3 years later go second overall. The Texas Rangers chose Drew in the 4th round with 136 pick. He received a 198,000 signing bonus. He arrived in Surprise, Arizona in the summer of 2010 with some clothes in a Walmart bag and a pair of Spikes. He didn't have a glove. He had borrowed a friends in high school. On reporting day, he showed up in a white t-shirt, basketball shorts, and flip-flops. His roommate, Johnny Gomez, told him that he needed a college shirt. He hadn't brought one. So he borrowed a tail Abercrombie & Fitch polo from Gomez and wore it for the next four days. Being a professional baseball player isn't only about playing baseball better than everyone else. It's accelerated adulthood. It's an 18-year-old paying bills, managing disappointment, navigating politics, forging relationships, figuring out how to live in a universe designed to weed out the weak. Drew's brother already had lived this reality. The 4.30 a.m. wake-up calls for workouts, the bus rides, the arm surgeries, by this time, Chad's career was sputtering, and he would spend a half-decade kicking around independent ball only to find out this game he loved just wouldn't love him back. Had Drew and Chad spoken more, Drew would have known how pro ball worked, how its physical elements paled compared with its mental toll. But talking wasn't their thing. Drew would have to navigate the harsh learning curve on his own. Baseball exposed cracks in his facade of stability. His adoration for the game vacillated. He would love baseball one day and loathe it the next. In 2011, in his second season, he batted .163 in low A. Despite the struggles, Texas moved him to a full-season league in 2012, and he excelled. His family followed Drew's career ardently. He and Diana continued to text every so often, but she was in college, and he was too baseball-obsessed for a relationship. Diana hadn't heard from him in months when a message pinged on her phone in the middle of a biology lab. It was the end of the 2013 season. Drew had conquered high A. He wanted to see her when he returned to Las Vegas. They met up and realized they were ready for one another. The instinct that had pulled her toward him was right. He was funny, goofy, a perfect compliment. She was everything his family wasn't. When baseball's inherent self-doubt surfaced, Why is that guy moving up and what am I doing wrong? Am I good enough? She tried to eradicate it. It wasn't easy for Drew. He tried to lean on Diana as he floundered at AA in 2014. And as he excelled at at that level in 2015, all of her support couldn't wash away his self-doubt and insecurity. Out of nowhere, he broke off the relationship. He said, I don't know why you like me, Diana says. I was so shocked. In my head, I was like, what do you mean? You don't know why I like you? I will never forget that. That was the first time something went off where I was like, is there something deeper? She thought they were going to get married and just like that, it was over. He projected his flaws on her. He saw her compassion. Diana brought food and water to parties to ensure her friends didn't get out of control drunk. He saw her compassion as weakness. She's the most selfless person I've ever met, Drew says. So anytime there was any little hint of me being not happy, she wanted to help. Because I was so closed off, I didn't want that. So it pushed me away from her. I pushed myself away from her. The worst parts of of himself were ruining the best things in his life. And eventually had the perspective to recognize that. He asked to get back together. She agreed. Then he broke up with her again. The cycle was vicious. She tried to empathize, rationalize. She tried to see in him what he couldn't see in himself. At 7 a.m. on April 17th, Drew woke up and the pain finally hit. When he moved, pieces of his face shifted. He considered getting the gun and trying again. He decided to shower. He didn't fall this time. He returned to the bed, slipped in and out of consciousness. Hours went by. He heard his phone buzz. He didn't bother looking at the messages. The pain worsened. He tried to sit up but collapsed onto the floor. He was thirsty. He mustered the strength to stand. He lurched into the kitchen, filled a cup with water, and, to help with the pain, swallowed one Tylenol. He walked by his coffee table and saw his gun. He grabbed his phone instead and walked towards his room. On the way, he stopped in the bathroom and looked at his face. It was unrecognizable. The bullet had mingled his right eye. He thought about baseball. If anyone could play with one eye, he wondered if thinking about the future meant he was trying to survive. He found a box of Band-Aids and used some to cover the wound. He started asking questions, different ones than before. That single Tylenol pill, was it some subconscious message that he wanted to heal? looked at his phone for the first time he opened a text message okay to use your garage there was another it had arrived an hour after the first thank you the messages the messages were from Daryl. he had been at drew's house working out in the garage he never opened the door to the inside of the home i did it That was the text Drew sent to his family after Jeff Bannister, the Rangers Rangers manager, told him he made the 2017 opening day roster. This was the dream. Everyone everyone flew from Los Angeles to Texas for opening day. Everyone flew from Las Vegas to Texas for opening day. Over the years, Daryl and Renee had learned to get along. That's his mom and dad. So they sat together with Brittany and Diana, meaning his sister and his ex-girlfriend, who wasn't going to miss this moment, even if she and Drew were no longer together. Chad joined friends in the outfield seats and crushed beers. Chad is his brother. Drew got two at-bats in the Rangers' third game. Seven days later, he was demoted to triple A. This is life for someone who spent seven years in the minor leagues, who played a utility role instead of laying claim to a position, who lived on the fringes of the sport and needed to perform every year, lest he be called too old, too unproductive, too anything. The game is cruel for infinite reasons, and this was just another. He returned May 28th and was sent down May 29th. He he got called up June 24th, started at Yankee Stadium on June 25th, hammered a home run for his first major league hit and was demoted June 26. The Rangers summoned him again July 7th, and he remained with the team for the rest of the season, hitting .224, .319, .439 with six home runs and playing six positions. Finally, he wasn't just a cup of coffee big leaguer. He was 25 years old with power, versatility, and perhaps a future not just in baseball with Diana. That off-season, they reconciled and got back together for a third time. Although Drew acted like he belonged, he still felt otherwise. The companion's voice was unrelenting. It had accompanied him from childhood to adulthood. It was totally paralyzing, Drew says. In the clubhouse, he questioned every answer he gave to reporters. On the field, he second-guessed minutiae how he stood during the national anthem, how he looked running to his position between innings. At home, he wondered why Diana bothered with him. Why does everything suck? Why is this happening to me? Is there something I'm doing wrong? Why can't you just be real with everyone and let them know how much you hate yourself? The question's intensified. Is it even worth it? Is my life even worth it? He broke camp with Texas again in 2018. He played in 22 of the Rangers' first 27 games. A hip injury hampered him. The Rangers sent him down, brought him up, sent him down, brought him up. In December 2018, they traded him to the St. Louis Cardinals. He decided this would be a fresh start. He proposed to Diana. She said yes. They set a wedding date, November 14, 2020. Drew made the Cardinals' big league roster out of spring training, but a week into the season, once again, he was sent to AAA. He returned on March 31st, played three games, then was sent back down again. He returned again April 15th and was demoted again the very next day on April 16th. Up April 22nd, down April 23rd. He never made it back. He heard his non-throwing left elbow and needed surgery. On August 28, 2019, the Cardinals released him. The companion's voice grew louder. Drew grew more depressed. His suicidal ideation intensified. He understood he needed help. He started to see a therapist. He read self-development books. He wanted to see himself the way he believed everyone else saw themselves. I thought... This is the best he's ever been, Diana says. I was like, wow, he's doing things for himself that maybe he's been needing to do for so long. The San Francisco Giants signed Drew to a non-guaranteed minor league contract on January 6, 2020. In an early spring meeting with manager Gabe Kapler, president of baseball operations for Ron Zadi, and general manager Scott Harris, he said, I struggle with self-confidence a lot. This is what Drew said to the management. The group thanked him for his candor, but the positivity that exchange bred was fleeting. Even as Drew continued therapy sessions, he didn't rid him. They, I'm sorry. Even as Drew continued therapy sessions, they didn't rid him his worst thoughts. They did not rid him of his worst thoughts. Pardon me. His frustration with himself multiplied. He was trying truly committing, embracing vulnerability. But even if Diana and others saw progress, he saw stasis. He stood still. Drew didn't recognize that this is typical, that mental health is an ongoing process, improvement not necessarily linear. He was chasing something that didn't exist. He worried he was destined to end up in the minor leagues again, and he didn't want to put Diana through that life. He worried he wasn't good enough for her, that he never would be. Damn it. Drew caught off the wedding. The awful questions compounded and led to another. Who would care if I'm gone? When he couldn't answer that either, he started to plan his death. Drew went to a gun range in the Phoenix area. Every shot birthed another question. Could this be a real possibility? How would I even do it? Where would I do it? No, he told himself, that's too extreme. Just talk to someone. We can do it. Just talk to someone. Find anyone. Even if it's a surface level conversation, make a joke, have a light moment. No, nobody wants to hear it. Nobody needs to hear it. Then on March 12th, COVID-19 shut down the baseball world. Drew returned to Las Vegas, to an empty home, to loneliness, to not knowing who he was. A week later, he went to a gun store to purchase a weapon He returned March 30th to pick it up. He had no distractions, none of those surface-level conversations or jokes or light moments. He couldn't go to the stadium, couldn't meet with friends, couldn't go out. Just him and his thoughts that had built up for two decades. He wanted to see Diana. She said no. After the latest breakup, she vowed to prioritize herself, her own well-being. That meant boundaries. When Drew reached out, she was straightforward and to the point. No small talk, no questions about how he was doing. When he asked if he could have Ellie, one of their golden doodles, she said no. The dog would keep them connected, prevent him, prevent her, pardon me, prevent her from moving on. If she couldn't make a life with him, she needed one of her own. The days felt like forever. Friends checked in with Drew. They wanted to plan something for his 28th birthday on April 20th. He ignored them. On April 13th, Drew met with the woman who had a litter of puppies. He found the perfect one. He petted it, cuddled it, then an awful feeling washed over him. He apologized. Sorry, he told the woman. I can't take this dog. He left in a rush, noticing the confused look on the woman's face. She had no idea, Drew says. How could she? I couldn't take the dog because I was planning on killing myself. Around 3.30 p.m. on April 17th, Drew was sitting in the same spot on the couch where he shot himself. On his coffee table were his gun and his cell phone. He picked up the pistol with his left hand. He held the phone in his right hand. The numbers 911 punched in. He could pull the trigger. He could tap the green dial button. He kept contemplating his mind racing. He thought about Diana, Daryl, Renee, Brittany, and Chad. He thought about baseball. He thought about the past 20 hours. How? Why? Why am I trying to survive? It came to him, he says in an instant. I want to live, Drew told himself. He didn't question it. He couldn't let the companion in. Not now. Before he hit send on the phone, he swiped back to his home screen, opened his camera app, switched to selfie mode, and took a picture. He wanted to memorialize the moment he chose life. Drew called 911. It was 3.44 p.m. I need an ambulance, he said. I tried to commit suicide last night, and I made it through. I think I detached my eye, maybe. I can't open my right eye, and I have a huge hole in my head, and I'm in a lot of pain. What'd you do, the dispatcher said. I shot myself in the head, Drew said. Police in the area rushed to his house. Six cars descended on his house. At 3.51 p.m., police kicked down the front door. They were afraid this might be an ambush. A guy shoots himself in the head and lives for 20 hours? No way. At 3.52 p.m., a cop asked, asked, Why'd you shoot yourself? Drew replied in a whisper, Because I hate myself. At 3.53 p.m., an ambulance arrived. At 3.57 p.m., a gurney carrying Drew was loaded for transport. At 3.59 p.m., it pulled away toward UMC Trauma Center. At 4 p.m., another cop shook his head and said what everyone else was thinking. That's crazy that he's still alive. So guys, that's pretty much the story of um, of Drew. That is the story of Drew. I'm not going to read the rest of it. This is courtesy of ESPN Story written by Jeff Passan, Drew Robinson, in his remarkable second act. Drew Robinson, again, is a San Francisco Giants outfielder and attempted to kill himself. And by the grace of God, lived. He survived his own self-inflicted gunshot wound. He lived 20 hours in his home after shooting himself in the head. He placed the gun to his right temple and pulled the trigger. He survived, and during the 20 hours that he survived, I just read to you all of the things that went through his mind and the activities he engaged in his home, I suppose, while he was in this psychotic state. And I really believe when someone makes a decision to kill themselves and they go through with it, that they're not in touch with reality. How could they be? It takes a lot to kill yourself or to attempt to kill yourself, especially with a weapon, with a gun. So the bullet entered Drew's head. It immediately ruptured his right eyeball. It continued across the orbital wall and through the ethmoid sinuses, which are the hollow areas around the nose it fractured his frontal sinus, which caused leakage of cerebrospinal fluid, which in itself can pose a significant risk. Somehow, miraculously, it missed the sinus major arteries, which if they would have been struck, could have caused catastrophic bleeding. He would have died. But instead, the bullet whistled past his left orbital floor and out above his left cheekbone, millimeters from running, um, excuse me, from ruining his other eye. this, this is a miracle. And you know, when you read this story, you'll learn that his right eye was beyond repair. The bullet shredded its insides and severed the optic nerve. So he was scheduled for an enucleation, which is the removal of his eye. And they replaced his eye with an implant. So... Drew survived this suicide attempt. And through all of this, this brought his family together. Um, they became better communicators. They met on Zoom with a psychologist. And his father, Daryl, began to see the, the therapist, the psychologist individually as well, because he realized he had never learned to express, his, express himself, to express his emotions, to allow himself to feel his emotions. So this is um, this is a story of mental health and wellness and survival. And besides Daryl, the father, Chad, the brother, and his sister Brittany also suffered from mental health challenges. Brittany was diagnosed with anxiety and depression in high school and admitted in this article that for years she had tried to remind herself that she's enough and wish those around her would do the same. She said that communication in her family had never been a good thing. She says that she wasn't afraid to express herself, but that wasn't. She couldn't say the same for her family. So I wanted to share this story because um, it's a triumphant story. For people who don't understand mental illness, including suicides this may actually make you angry and you may say that suicide is a weak is a weak way out or should never be a consideration but unfortunately for people who suffer from mental illness from things like severe depression major depression they're not able to see that they're not able to see that suicide is not should not be an option and is not an option They want a way out because they're in so much mental pain. If you've ever felt this way before, I'm just here to to convince you that that pain does not last forever. And it doesn't take you trying to kill yourself. It doesn't take you attempting suicide for you to realize it. Just hang in there and see it through. Meditate, pray. When you fall into those deep zones or into that deep hole. And actually before you even fall into that pit, recognize the signs of depression. I read some of those signs as I was reading this article. Feeling alone, feeling like you're no good, not having any motivation, no self-esteem, not feeling good about yourself thinking that other people are thinking badly about you. These are the things that people don't think of as signs or symptoms of depression, but they are. Typically, people think about crying all the time, um, changes in your diet, which all of these things fall under the umbrella of a depressive disorder. But I want you to recognize the not-so-popular signs and symptoms of things that you may not hear a lot of people talk about. Viewing yourself in a negative light or from a negative point of view is never good. So if you don't feel good about yourself and you don't love yourself, that should be considered a red flag. You've heard me speak about red flags in a relationship. Well, it's a red flag in your relationship with yourself if you don't love you and you don't like yourself so please get help suicide just tell yourself this suicide is not the answer it is not the answer nothing lasts forever if you're feeling like you don't want to be here on earth and you're not in treatment please get in treatment You can seek a psychiatrist. You can seek out a psychologist, a licensed clinical social worker, a licensed mental health counselor. Just see someone. If you don't know where to go, see your primary care doctor. If you don't have a primary care doctor, get on NAMI.org, N-A-M-I-I.org, NAMI.org. Also, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-TALK, which is 1-800-273-8255. And if you're feeling that badly about yourself, more than likely I'm going to venture to say that you probably need medications, not just psychotherapy. Therapists like psychologists and clinical social workers and mental health counselors cannot prescribe medication, but you can see a psychiatrist who can do that for you. And some psychiatrists will also provide psychotherapy in addition to the medication option. And then here's the other thing. Don't be afraid of taking a break from life and admit yourself to a psychiatric program or a psych hospital. Give yourself a break. Give yourself time. If you're that overwhelmed, and especially during these times of coronavirus 19, you may need to take a break. You may need to go into a therapeutic setting and be around professionals, nurses and behavioral health techs and therapists and all of these folks to help you bounce back. So, guys, thank you for I know this this is um, this was a, a sad session, but this should be a session that we can learn from. So I hope some of those those, uh, recommendations that I shared, that you'll you'll seriously consider them, that you'll share them with other folks also. I mentioned some resources like NAMI.org. If you're here in Florida, there's also another resource. It's called Talk It Out. It's a nonprofit mental health counseling agency. Founder is Emily Fowler. If you Google it or you look for it, Talk It Out is spelled without the A. So it's T-L-K-IT-OUT, I-T-O-U-T. And their office phone is four 941-840-1089. And you can email them at info at gmail.com, which is T-L-K-I-T-O-U-T-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. There's also my office, 305 981 And most big cities have community mental health centers. So if you don't have insurance and you're not able to pay out of pocket, you can go to a community mental health center. In South Florida, we have Citrus Health Network. We have New Horizons. We have Henderson Health Clinic. And there's also CHI. If you don't know how to find your community health center, go or call your nearest ER. They will know what the nearest community health center is. You can also Google it. You can also go on psychologytoday.com. All righty. So guys, stick it out. Man, sometimes life can be a challenge. A lot of times life is challenging. Just see it through. It'll make you stronger. I promise you. I promise. I promise. I promise. You'll go through the fire and you'll come out pure gold. You'll come out pure gold and you'll be the king or the queen that you are. Learn from it. Allow it to develop to develop you. And along the way, teach yourself some coping skills. Learn how to cope when things are stressful and overwhelming. I'll save that for another episode. Thank you for joining me on the couch, guys. Have a great week. So, guys, I just wanted to remind you about um, the ways you can follow me. Of course, if you're listening to this podcast and you know how to follow the Brain Love Podcast, which I created May 2020, um, it's on iHeartRadio, it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, of course. Um, And then follow me on social media. On Facebook, I'm Dr. Delvina, that's D R period. D E L V as in Victor E N A. And on Instagram, I'm Dr. Delvina, just as D R D E L V as in Victor E N A. And I'm the same on Twitter as well as on Clubhouse. So if you're on Clubhouse, shoot me a follow. And I also have a YouTube channel that's Dr. Delvina Thomas. If you type in D R period space, Delvina D E L V as in Victor E N A. Thomas T H O M A S. You should easily find it. And really, if you're following me on Instagram, if you go to my bio and click the link tree that's there, it gives you all of my all of my different links. It gives you my website also, which is Dr. Delvina D R D E L V I A S and Victor E N A dot help. That's H E L P. And also, please start tuning in on Sunday mornings at 5 a.m. on 99 Jams. Community Matters. I'm a guest host with Super Cindy. Um, tune in. You can download the 99 Jams app um, from the app store, and that way you don't have to get up and turn on your radio. You can just download the 99 Jams app. So give me a follow, subscribe, and thank you for your support. And if you have an advertisement for your company that you would like to play on my podcast, shoot me an email. Hit me up, info, I-N-F-O. At Dr. Delvina, D-R-D-E-L-V-E-N-A dot help, H-E-L-P. All right, y'all. Now I'm truly out. We're off the couch now. We're off the couch. These days, it's harder than ever to stand out from the crowd. And it's even harder to get paid for the work you put online. Luckily, there's a new way to put your work out into the world. It's called Discovered. Discovered is a new digital platform and social network where creatives share their projects to new audiences and earn more money from their work than any other platform. Ready to get out there? Visit discover.tv today.